Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Microfamous podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I want to pull out a chapter of the Microfamous book, and uh, I want to go over it and and then intersperse some commentary. So this isn't just a direct uh, reading of a chapter. I want to kind of elaborate and expound on uh, some things that I shared in the book. So we're going to talk about turning attention into demand, or put another way, turning content into clients. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about you know what is the key to doing that, and that's sharpening up and uncovering your clear and compelling idea. And we're going to talk through some ways to do that. So I want to set the scene a little bit first, because essentially, I think what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years is there has been kind of this big lie uh, that's come up, which is that attention converts into sales automatically, right? And I think it's created a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. And there's a lot of people that are spending their lives creating content and, and pressuring themselves to create even more content under that idea that if I just create content, more and more content that will produce more and more sales. And anytime I have less sales in my business than I want, the answer therefore is more content. Uh, A great example of this is I literally seen scrolling across my Instagram feed the other day, a video from Gary Vaynerchuk with one of his followers asking him that exact same question, presenting the same frustration. I am creating all this content. I can't get anybody to buy. What's my problem? And, uh, and a lot of folks have that problem. And the only answer they can think of is to produce more content. Well, something is broken. And, and the idea that fixing that problem by just cranking out more content essentially is the definition of insanity. It's just doing more of the same thing that's already not working and expecting a different result. So I want to uh, bring up a chapter of the book called Turn Attention Into Demand. And I'm going to read through this as well as add in some examples that aren't in the book and just anything that I think of off the top of my head to expound and, and explain and share some background on, on why I wrote this chapter. And I think you'll get a ton out of it. It's only like three or four pages long. So this is not going to be a long episode. But I just want to, uh, to share how, how this actually works. What is the mechanism that turns attention into demand? What is it that gets, it takes content from just being nice or enjoyable, or getting a pat on the back to the type of content that gets people saying, holy cow, like I've got to, I've got to buy something from that person. I've got to hire that person, right? I need that person in my life. And that's the response that we're looking for. So let's turn to this chapter. So turn attention into demand. For many thought leaders, there's a key point where we stall out. We're sharing good content, we're getting lots of encouragement, but we aren't getting sales. Unfortunately, this is more common than we like to admit, especially in the world of podcasting. There are many influencers who can attract attention but can't create sales. How is this possible? 
How can we attract attention without creating sales? Well, for the answer, let's look at two contrasting examples of influence. We'll start with the iconic Barbara Walters. While being one of the world's most famous and skilled interviewers, you would, would you ever think of her for business coaching? The answer is probably not. All the attention she gained in her niche worked perfectly to build her personal brand, but that attention mainly created demand for more interviews. On the other end of the spectrum, we have Jason Klein, co-founder of a company called Brandios. Jason and his co-founder started the first design and branding agency to specialize in minor league sports teams. Now, side note, uh, that we'll talk about a <laughs> talk about a niche. Uh, that is an insanely small niche. They they are a branding and design agency, so basically graphic design, web design, etc. But they were huge minor league baseball fans, and I, I featured them on the podcast a while back. It's been well over a year, and I loved that conversation because they they did such a great job of picking a specific niche that had eventual long term potential. But they started out by literally with a letter writing campaign to all the minor league sports teams and they got their first client and they never looked back and now they're getting into other types of uh, sports leagues but they mainly focus around sports so they had a clear and compelling idea and here's what here's what it was minor league teams should reflect the significance of their hometowns right minor league teams should reflect the significance of their hometowns that was their whole idea for their agency now the idea is both positive and polarizing because the traditional approach was to focus on the link between the minor league team and the parent team which were often hundreds or thousands of miles away. Uh, when I was growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, our minor league baseball team was the Omaha Royals. Why? Because they were a minor league team of the parent team, the Kansas City Royals. Now, the Kansas City Royals may have had that name for a reason, but there was nothing royal about Omaha, right? Um, and in fact, over the years, they've come to rename, like that team eventually failed and then had to be relaunched and renamed. Um, and it was an example of what didn't work, right? There was no link between Omaha and the Royals. Now, what's interesting about all this is that the average sports fan has never heard of Jason and his co-founder's company, Brandios, and that's exactly the point. Their team stepped into a defined niche. They claimed a leadership position and became micro-famous in their niche, right? They created content that did more than just attract attention. They continually drove home their clear and compelling idea, building influence around an idea that actually creates demand for their service. Now, why is that? It's because their clear and compelling idea is unique, it's positive, it's polarizing. They took, they took a stand for something and they decided to say, take a stand in something. The reason they could take that stand is because they decided to specialize in that niche and they became a thought leader in that niche, right? Now let's get back to the book chapter. The difference between those two examples is demand. When like-minded people hear a clear and compelling idea that promises a solution to their problem, they simply cannot help themselves. They must learn more. And if we aren't getting that kind of a response, then we know our clear and compelling idea needs to be sharpened. It needs to be refined, right? If you remember from the book, our clear and compelling idea is that one to two sentence expression of what our entire business is based around. Right. And if we deliver that one to two sentences that our entire business is based around, it's the core idea of our business. And we express that idea to someone who is a, an ideal client for us. And it doesn't get that response. We, something is wrong. It's not going to create demand. So our idea must be so clear, so razor sharp to our ideal clients that it creates demand. It compels them to learn more. Anything less than that might attract attention. It might get encouragement, but it doesn't create demand, right? So it's critical not to fall into the trap of producing content for attention's sake, right? Or seeking attention, which I know sounds a little bit negative, but 
What I mean by that is putting out content where the primary goal is to grab eyeballs, especially the maximum number of eyeballs, right? Because a lot of times that actually leads us away from something that's positive and polarizing, right? It leads us away from something that's polarizing. So how do we sharpen our clear and compelling idea to the point where it creates demand? So I want to give you some keys here. First, I want to look at the promise. So when, when we talk about what our business does, are we promising a transformation? Are we promising to resolve some sort of injustice in the world? Are we promising a new way to solve an existing problem? And if so, is that a big, valuable problem? Are we promising to solve a problem that everyone thinks is unsolvable? That will definitely grab some attention. Uh, here's the ideal. Now, this isn't going to be true for every business, but ideally, a cl clear and compelling idea promises to solve a problem in a new and surprising way. And there's a great example that I give in the book, and that's Netflix. <clears throat> Netflix's clear and compelling idea was DVDs through the mail, no late fees, right? They tapped into this sense of injustice people felt while offering a new way to solve a common problem, all in just a few words. If you think back to when Netflix first came out, <clears throat> I think Blockbuster was making something, something in their neighborhood of billions, maybe four billion. I, that could, number could be off, but I remember it was an extremely, it was hundreds of millions, if not into the billions, in late fees, right? There was a massive sense of injustice that people had of keeping a Blockbuster video or a DVD for a little too long, getting zero additional value from it, but then having to cough up this late fee. Netflix comes along and says, well, you can just get them through the mail. You don't have to deal with any of that. You don't even have to leave your house right? Clear and compelling idea. Um, think of books that stand the test of time, like Think and Grow Rich, Permission Marketing by Seth Godin, or uh, Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm. All of those books share one thing in common. At the heart of each book is a clear and compelling idea that promises a new solution to a real problem, right? So to me, that's where you always start. If you're looking at your like the idea for your business and it's not getting the response that you want, it's not creating demand, start by looking at what you're promising. Second, you want to look for ways to be positively polarizing. This isn't about being the James Dean of our industry. Uh, we, it's not about being the rebel type. We just need to take a stand and speak up for what we believe in. I call that choose the hill you're willing to die on, right? Um, a good question to ask yourself is, do I believe something strongly? that my competition would disagree with? And am I willing to, to, uh, to take that stand in public, right? Do I believe something strongly that my competitors would disagree with? And am I willing to take that stand in public? If not, I feel like there's work to be done, right? If I, if I have a stand that I, that I think that my competitors would disagree with, but I'm not willing to say that publicly, that creates a problem, right? Or if I, if I think about what I do, and there's nothing really that my competition would disagree on, well, then what stops them from telling ideal clients the same thing that I tell ideal clients? Well, the answer is nothing, right? So that's a really good way to kind of expose if there's something in your belief system, in your point of view, that is positively polarizing. What are the things that your, your competition would disagree with? And are you willing to take that stand in public, right? To me, there's always a way to share our clear and compelling idea in a way that polarizes our audience into people who agree and disagree without being negative, without being inauthentic, 
right? So for anything that you disagree with, something that's going on in your industry, for any place where you feel like people are being taken advantage of, for anything where you feel like people are being lied to, or where you people where you feel like people are making mistakes that are keeping them from getting good results, those sound like negatives, but all of those negative can, negatives can be transformed into positives. There's a flip side to everything, right? There's a flip side to everything. So the third thing I want to look at is sacred cows. When I'm looking at a clear and compelling idea that just isn't as razor sharp and, and compelling as it could be, I want to look at sacred cows. <clears throat> our sacred cows are the good ideas that are actually the enemy of our clear and compelling idea. Um, if you ever heard that idea, the good is the enemy of great. Um, this is an example of that. Sometimes we have good ideas for our business, but they're not clear and compelling. And the more we talk about those ideas, the, the more we do ourselves a disservice. Um, there are also uh, good people that we want to serve in other niches that keep us from focusing on the right people. That, that can even extend to our, the, our, the clients that we want to serve. The good can be the enemy of the great. So are we willing to sacrifice our good ideas so we can become known for our clear and compelling idea? Are we willing to focus on becoming famously influential to the right people and turn away everyone else? If not, we're going to find it difficult to uncover a clear and compelling idea. Finally, we want to look at, look at our delivery. What if we have the right idea, but we don't have the right phrasing, the right expression, or the right packaging? Well, then our idea won't be razor sharp, clear, and compelling. In the book, I talk about how the good news is that the more we get featured on podcast interviews, sharing our clear and compelling idea, the more we can play with our delivery. We can experiment with new phrases, new expressions. We can tweak the, the phrasing, the language, how we talk about it, or even our tone of voice. We can find what resonates with the right people, right? Uncovering and delivering our clear and compelling idea is a process, and we shouldn't worry if it doesn't come overnight. The key is to be aware of this process so we're constantly refining, constantly moving toward our clear and compelling idea. Because when we have that and we systematically deliver that idea to the right people over and over and over again, we turn influence into demand. So that's what I wanted to share with you from the book. If you don't have a copy yet, uh, you can grab it for free plus shipping, which means you cover the book, I cover the shipping. Just go to microfamousbook.com. Uh, that chapter that I just uh, kind of read and expanded on uh, is from the strategy section. It's the first third of the book. The book is divided into strategy, system, and tactics. So it goes all the way from why you do something to what you do and how to do it systematically to how to do it in the best way possible, right? Strategy, system, tactics. So that's how the book is laid out, but essentially it is a roadmap to becoming famously influential to the right people and doing it without being glued to your phone, without being active and everywhere on social media, without getting into uh, expensive and un potentially unprofitable paid traffic, right? It is, a, it is an alternative to both of those things. Right, the microfamous strategy is an alternative to being glued to your phone on social media or opening up your wallet and and ponying up for for paid funnels, traffic, and and all that fun stuff. So there's a place for everything and everything in its place. There's nothing wrong with organic social media. There's nothing wrong with paid traffic. There's nothing wrong with doing things to gain attention. There's nothing wrong with PR. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the microfamous approach is a strategy and a roadmap to getting there in a systematic way, in a way that builds real enduring influence for you in your space, right? So you become not just known, right? You become not just 
you know, memorable even, you become famously influential. So that people know you and they take action based on what you say, right? Because if you're any, any kind of person that wants to lead people, you want to teach and train and lead people, it's not enough just to get attention. It's not enough even just to get sales, right? We want results. We want to get people results. We want to lead people to new actions, new behaviors, new beliefs. We want to make an impact in the world. And that's, that takes a different approach than just getting attention and getting sales, right? So, uh, like I said, that was, a ch that was an excerpt uh, from one of the chapters in the book called Turn Attention into Demand. So, if you want to do that, if you want to learn more about that, and especially if you want to uncover your clear and compelling idea, which is the, the key, really, to creating demand, then pick up a copy of the book today. I really appreciate the time uh, and the attention that you pay to these solo episodes. I know it's just me sitting here in front of a microphone. I, I wish I could speak in, you know, to you in person because the energy is, is even greater. But I, I so appreciate the time that you spend here with, with me kind of in your ears. And if you have any questions for me, if you have any feedback for me, if you enjoy the book um, and you want to leave a review, I'd appreciate it. Um, but if there's any way I can be helpful and supportive to you, let me know. Hit me up on Facebook or Instagram. It's easy to get a hold of me. Uh, all of my social links and everything are at getmicrofamous.com. And we'll see you on the next episode of Microfamous.